I, I do want to take, um, first I want us to welcome Reverend Al Pittman again to, uh, to the service this evening. Grateful for the witness of his life and uh, what, it, what he says about Nazarene Bible College as, uh, as a model for ministry. Uh, I also want to take a point of, of, of uh, personal privilege. One of, the, um, one of the most, one of the persons who has significant impact in my life, uh, especially uh, after I arrived here, was Dr. Neil Wiseman. I know. He was uh, dean of Nazarene Bible College for eight years and uh, served until, I think, 97 or 98. And he's right here. Would you welcome Dr. New Wise? His, his service as dean is just the beginning, um, but uh, I wanted you to welcome him here. Our theme for the week, for the, for the term, is... Here am I, Lord, purify me. Say it with me again. Here am I, Lord, purify me. I think that we ought to make that a prayer. Stand and say that one more time. Here am I, Lord, purify me. Let's pray. Make it so. Amen. Father God, indeed, you are holy, holy, holy. We rejoice, dear God, that the holiness of your presence is in this place. You have promised where two or three are gathered in your name that you would be there in the midst. So I pray right now, Father, that you would take dominion over every spirit and power, every principality that would lift up itself against the name of Jesus, and you would bind it, and you would release, dear God, the spirit of revelation and wisdom through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Bless your word, Father, tonight as it goes forth. May it not return unto you void, but may it fulfill everything that you have sanctioned it to do. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Well, I'm so honored again to be with you uh, this evening. And I'm going to start um, in Isaiah chapter 6 and just to remind us of uh, the theme of this, uh, our time together. And then I'm going to go over to Luke chapter 5. Uh, my talk tonight, uh, and what I would like to discuss tonight is uh, letting down your nets. You may wonder what that's all about. We'll get into Luke chapter 5 here in a moment. But I understand that when God calls us to ministry, and God calls us to serve him, and there's that initial calling, and we see his holiness, and then we see our lowliness. We talked about that last night. And then there comes a time where God sends us out. He calls us to a certain field or to a certain task. To read here in Isaiah chapter 6, after Isaiah is touched by the coal from the altar of God, his sin is purged and he's qualified for ministry. He says, Lord, here am I, send me. When the Lord said, who can I send? And then he, it says here in verse 9 of Isaiah 6, the Lord said, go and tell this people. And then he tells them the message to tell them to, to keep on hearing, but they 
they do not understand and they keep on seeing but they do not perceive. In other words, the word of God has a hardening and blinding effect upon the soul that rejects it. And he said, you go out and speak this message. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. The Lord is not against the people coming and being restored, but as they continually reject the word and reject the word and reject the word, their hearts become hardened and their eyes become blind and they cannot see. And then he says this, and this is kind of the focus tonight, because he says, then I said, Lord, how long? And don't we think that, wonder about that sometimes, when God calls us to a ministry, he calls us to do something, one of the things we're thinking is, Lord, how long? And sometimes people enter the ministry with an idea that it's a stepping stone to something else. But we are servants of the Most High God. And we are to be where God places us as long as God wants us to be there. And, uh, you know, it's, and, and so he says, Lord, how long? How long am I going to have to preach this message? And he basically tells them until the children of Israel are carried away into the Babylonian captivity. Because he says until the cities are laid waste and without an, an inhabitant, the houses are without a man. The land is utterly de desolate. The Lord has removed men far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But here's the mercy of God. But yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. And that gets into the whole promise of the Messianic promise and all of that uh, that the Lord has given to us. And we're not going down that road tonight. But the Lord basically says, he, I mean, Isaiah basically says, Lord, how long? And he says, until the captivity happens. Now you got to understand, this is about, about 150 years or so before the captivity. So Isaiah is probably, you know, he didn't know how long it was going to be, but his ministry is about 40 years long. So he did not see the fruition of this message. He did not see the children of Israel carried away in the captivity. And sometimes God will call you to a ministry and you're, you're planting seeds and you're laboring in the field, but you may not see maybe the fruit of it or the end of it. And yet God calls us to, to fulfill a certain work. Isaiah wanted to know, Lord, how long? How long, O oh Lord? I remember when the Lord uh, called us to come back to Colorado Springs in, in 1997, pastor of the church. And I remember I started teaching the Bible, going through the Bible. Uh, and and, and I'm, a, I'm kind of a thick preacher. It takes me a while to get through the Word of God. So I've been teaching through the Bible verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept for the last almost 14 years. And I just finished the other day the book of Proverbs. I started in Genesis. So it tells you how long we've been going. And so I figured it's going to take me about 20 years to complete the whole Bible. Now I've gone through most of the, all of the, the, the uh, uh, books of the New Testament and all that. But I'm just gradually on Wednesday night methodically going through the Word. But I remember going down to the church on Wednesday night and it would be like, you know, four people there. Or five, I would say, you know, four of them was my family, and then one other person maybe, you know, and it's like, and when you, you know, you really start out preaching the word and studying, going through Genesis and all that, you've got to do your homework. You just can't skim over stuff. You've got to get into the Hebrew and, and all this kind of stuff and Hebrew culture and all those things. And I remember going through that and just feeling, being frustrated with God saying, God, I'm putting in 20, sometimes 30 hours a week just for, for Wednesday night because I don't, I don't, I want to rightly divide the word of truth. 
and, 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 and I would get to the church and, and 10 people would be there, or 12 people. And I'd be so frustrated with God. I said, God, we need to shut it down. God said, keep teaching. Keep teaching my word. I didn't call you to be successful. I called you to be obedient. Amen. And I said, well, you know, so I just continued to go. Amen. I mean, that, that was, but what God was doing was he was changing something in me. He was teaching me about integrity and obedience and about perseverance. And now God's blessed where we have many people coming, about a couple of hundred people on a Wednesday night or something like that. But that's, that's besides the point. The point is, is God said, be obedient to what I called you to. You see, the call of God has more to do with his plan rather than our own will. Amen. And God, there are many times God calls us to something. And, and uh, Dr. Uh, Graves, you said I could take my time. Amen? Yes. Amen. Thank you. All right. <laughs> I just, I just want to check over here. Amen. I want everybody getting up, walking out. But, but I want to take my time to go through this a little bit. I won't keep you long. But, but I wanted to set the stage looking at Isaiah's calling and the fact that God had called him to a ministry. And then he said, how long? And God didn't really give him a time. God just said, until, well, he basically said the time will be when they're carried away into captivity. But that happened long after uh, Isaiah's ministry was over. And he was obedient despite the fact that he never saw the end of it. And there's something about that. In ministry, because so many people get into ministry, and if things don't work out the way they want them to work out, then they think, well, you know what, God hasn't called me. But if God calls you to be someplace, and you go to that place, and you stay until God changes his mind. Amen? Of course, he changes not. Amen? We should say that. But there are things that time that God calls us and challenges us to, to lay down our nets. And, and what does that have to do with the setup with Isaiah? The fact that a lot of times we get into places where we're, we, there is stagnant, or we don't feel good about it anymore. Or the people aren't coming like we want them to come. And we, we start getting bitter. We start resenting God. Amen. Anybody ever resent God? Nobody. See, all y'all are liars. Amen. All of you just lied. You know, we're going to do something about that. It is this. There are times we're resentful of God because things didn't work out the way I wanted them to work out. And what God's trying to teach us is that it's not about how I want things to work out. It's about his will. And God had spoken judgment against the nation of Judah. That they would go into captivity. But Isaiah never saw that judgment. But he labored by faith. And he believed God. He didn't grow bitter. He continued to be faithful. Now Jesus, now over in Luke chapter 5. Jesus challenged Peter to set aside his, his own human reasoning and to let down his nets, to believe God's word. And in the same sense, the Lord calls us to put aside, to put our trust, rather, in his word, and that we might behold his power and his faithfulness in our ministry but again there are times where we get we get a little resentful we get a little bitter we 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 we, we want a ministry like the guy down the street or or that person i want to write a book and all those kind of things and and i want to be the person on television i want a number one seller god you know and things aren't working out the way we plan but it always goes back to that question what did god call me to do
And, and, and this story of letting down your nets, I want to challenge you tonight. If God has called you to do something, and maybe you are starting to lose uh, enthusiasm, you're starting to feel discouraged or depressed about things, uh, uh, God, but you know God called you, I want to encourage you tonight to, to not withhold your faith, but to release your faith so God can use you in ways that you have yet to behold and to see. God doesn't reveal everything to us right up front, amen? amen? So we have this story here and this example or lesson here in letting down our nets and trusting God and being faithful to him despite our own human reasoning in Luke chapter 5. The Bible says in Luke chapter 5 verse 1, And so it was as the multitude pressed about him, that is about Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, that is the Sea of Galilee, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Peter owned the boat, Simon Peter. It was his boat. And he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners to the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and, and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. God is a God of a, be, above and beyond. Amen? Amen? What we could ask or think. Verse 8, now when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Because really, in his mind, he wasn't even believing God was going to do this. He said, I'm a sinful man. And the Bible says in verse 9, for he, had, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to, let, to the land, they forsook all, and they followed him. Now, after Jesus finished teaching, he commands Peter to do something which seemed very strange to him to launch out into the deep. And this is where the lesson begins. Because in order for us to launch out into the deep, to understand God's power and grace, we need to do two things. One thing that we desperately need, and that is faith. And Jesus is asking Peter to abandon his professional opinion about fishing and to trust him. Now, see, it's one thing to trust God with something you don't know anything about. It's another thing to trust God with something you know about. Amen. To trust God with your business. To trust God with that. You know, I've been in the you know, computer industry for 50 years. I know what I'm doing. And, and then for God to say, no, trust me on this one. Or to trust God with your finances. And you've been working on Wall Street for 40 years. And, you know, I know money, but God says, no, I want you to trust me. I want you to, I want you to do, do this with your finances. It's one thing to trust God when I don't know something. It's another thing to trust God when I think I know something. And guess what? You don't know what you think you know. Because his ways are higher than our ways. As the heavens are above the earth, so are the ways of the Lord. Amen. And when God calls you to do something, 
It offends many times our human reasoning. And Peter was a little offended. It's almost like I could hear Peter saying, now look, Lord, because the night before, Jesus had a healing service. You read there in chapter 4. And I, it's almost like Peter was saying to the Lord, Lord, you, you stick to the healing stuff, I'll, I'll handle the fishing. Because I've been doing this a long time, and I'm an expert at this, and, I, and this is my profession. I know what I'm doing. And, and Lord, you know, launch out into the deep. What do you mean launch out into the deep? But notice Peter's deliverance, his education, came as a result of what he heard. What do I mean by that? Well, the Bible says in Romans 10, verse, verse 17, you know this. So, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, okay? Peter was a captive audience while Jesus was teaching in the boat. Jesus said, Peter, launch on out here. I, mean, I want to teach these people. So I'm sure Peter listening to him, Jesus teaching, and Peter, like some, maybe some of you tonight, sitting here going, this is for everybody else, but this, is, this isn't for me. I, I'm glad to see everybody showed up. I'm glad to see so-and-so, but he really needs it. She, I'm glad she's here. I, oh, come on, give it to her tonight. Just <laughs> preach hard, Just, you know, convict her. I'm glad they're here. I'm sitting here just because I know they need this. Amen? You ever do that in church? You're there, but you know somebody else needs it. You're, you're, it's not, this isn't for me. I'm glad. Thank you, preacher. Thank you for looking my way, but I, I, I appreciate it. But this is for everybody else. And so Peter's sitting on the boat. He's thinking, oh, this is for everybody else. And then Jesus says, launch out into the deep. What do you mean launch out into the deep? His nets were empty. His nets brought him to a place really called nevertheless. As he says here in verse 5, he said, Master, we, we toiled all night. You know, you don't know fishing. We toiled all night. You're, you're a carpenter. You can build some stuff, but we toiled all night, and we've caught nothing. And because they had nothing, he said, but nevertheless, until you are left with nothing, you won't say nevertheless. You've got to be left with nothing. God brings you to a point where you've got nothing to lose. Because you've done all you can do. And you've caught nothing. He said, nevertheless. Lord, this is, this is for you, Lord. I'm going to do this because you're telling me, uh, Lord, to do it. Because I've, I've tried everything I know to try and nothing has worked. I've tried everything I know to try in my marriage and nothing has worked. I've tried everything I know to try in my church and nothing has worked. I've tried everything in my career and I've known to try nothing has worked. But Lord, I'm in a place of nevertheless. That's when God can use you. You've you got to get to a place of nevertheless. If you still think you can tell God how to do things. See, you know, that was like uh, you know, Martha and Mary when, when Jesus was, was at their home and, 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 and Mary was sitting down at the feet of Jesus and Martha was working and busy and stuff. And then she went and she started giving Jesus advice. You ever do that? Yeah, in your prayer time, we call it prayer. I'm sorry. That's when we start giving the Lord advice. Lord, this is what you ought to do right here. If you would just do this. See, you ain't at nevertheless yet. You're not at that place of brokenness yet. You're still giving God advice. And Martha was giving the Lord advice. Lord, tell my sister to help me. We do that sometimes as pastors. Lord, tell them people down there to help me. And then we start preaching, we're angry in the pulpit, and we're hitting the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And the Lord said, feed my sheep, not beat my sheep. Amen? That, that'll get you in trouble. And you're speaking with a spirit of anger and, and mad at everybody, and, you know, tell them people, Lord, to help me, you know. No, Mary had made the better choice. After teaching, 
Jesus now gives Peter a test. He didn't think it was for him, but it was for Peter. And sometimes I want to tell people when I'm preaching on Sunday, it's like, you better listen to what I'm saying because there will be a test. There'll be a test. Every word that you've read in your Bible, every word that we comprehend, every sermon we hear, there's always a test to follow. It's amazing when I'm speaking on love that that week God is teaching me how to love my wife. Amen. Before, before you get there, you're going to learn how to do this. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no, this is for them. No, this is for you. You, you, you need to learn this so that you can, you, can, you can live it. It's not just about hearing it. Faith comes by hearing. But James said also faith without works is dead. So God will make us. God will, it's always a test. Sometimes I go, I read some of these passages and I'm studying them. I'm going, oh, I don't want to preach on that this week. Because I know there will be a test. If it's about loving people, forgiving people, I guarantee you there will be a test. And God says it's not just for them, it's for you as well. So Peter's sitting there, he's thinking, oh, this is great. Well, team, preach on Jesus. Woo. Now launch out, huh? What? Launch. Wait, wait what? we've been fishing all night. There's nothing out here. That... Well, I didn't catch anything, so nevertheless. The Lord was testing him to see if he was listening, to see if his faith is genuine, to see if he will trust him. First Peter chapter, and Peter wrote this, amen. First Peter chapter 1 verse 7, Peter says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know how you get your faith, you know, you get to your, your faith in that, that place of praise, honor, and glory? It has to be tested. It has to be tested. And so, once we've heard the word, our response should be to launch out. Here's my point. God has called you to whatever he's called you to do. You are here by faith in the Lord. In fact, you have launched out. This is a little scary for some of you. At least it was for me 30 something years ago. It was a long time ago. It was scary. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a clue. But I heard him say, launch out. I heard him speak to me, and I heard him say, in this Bible college years ago, preach my word. Had no idea what God had in mind. But I heard the voice of the Lord say, launch out. And you're here because God spoke to you and said, launch out. Amen. You're trusting him. And you've been listening to preachers all your, your life and hearing the word of God. Maybe you've done Bible studies or led Bible studies, but now God is telling you, launch out. Oh, that was for them, Lord. No, it was for you too. Now let's test. Let's test what you've heard. Launch out. Well, in order to launch out, it takes faith. We've got to trust him. And Peter trusted him. And like I said, sometimes we won't trust God until we've lost everything, until we're at a place of nevertheless. But in order to launch out as well, we've got to let go of our past experiences. This is my second point. You've got to let go of your past experiences. The fear of what happened yesterday keeps many people close to the shores of unbelief. See, they were by the shore, but, 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 but what happened yesterday, see, Lord, there's nothing out there. I launched out. We've been fishing all day. So we're going to stay right here along the shore of unbelief. No, I want you to launch out again. Sometimes a failed marriage, a failed ministry, a failed business, and all of that keeps us hugging the shoreline rather than trusting in the Word of God. Amen. And Peter's logic protested. 
What Peter was saying was basically, Lord, why try something that's already been tried and it hasn't worked? See, that was my protest on that. It was a Wednesday night when I was going down and like 12 people would be there. Lord, why, why, let's just cancel Wednesday night. Lord, let's you and me just cancel Wednesday night. It's not working. He says, launch out. Keep launching out. And you start living what you've been teaching. You launch out. Trust me. But Lord, it's not working. I've tried, you know, I've labored all night. Lord, there's, there's no, launch out. That's, that's hard. When you've done everything you know to do in your marriage. When you've done everything you know to do in your life. When you've forgiven people and you're loving people, because for us, launching out might be loving someone that's unlovable. Launching out again is forgive that person one more time. Launch out. Launching out may mean trusting God again that his call is in my life and God is going to use me in ministry. Even though before I've tried everything I've known to do and I've been fruitless. You know, I've stood like an evangelist. I've used Billy Graham, you know, gestures and everything. And, and no fruit, Lord. I've done everything that I know to do. And God says, now I can use you. Launch out. But you've got to forget your past experiences. You've got to forget what you did yesterday. And you've got to launch out. So you can't hold on to what, well, 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 I did that yesterday and this is what happened. If you do, you'll never launch out. You'll never trust God. You'll never believe him. Here, here, here's a thought in this abandoning past experiences. Stop painting your present situation and other people with the brushes of the past. You can start, you can start, you'd be in a situation and start painting it. Oh, I know what this is. God, ain't, he's not going to do nothing here either. You know, because see, I was here the other time and then I said this and this is what they said. Now watch this, you know. And we have this attitude and sometimes we see people just by the color of their skin, we paint them. Amen. Whether they're black or they're white or they're brown. Oh, I know him. You know. I tell people, you know, people, you know, all black people like watermelon. No, they don't. <laughs> now, I used to eat some watermelon. But I don't know, someplace in 1967, it started making me sick and I haven't been able to eat it since. Amen. And I'm just using that as a, as a joke. I'm being facetious. But the reality is sometimes we paint people. We say, oh, I, I need to put them in a, a peg. Put them in a hole. This is who they are. And we're painting them because of our past experiences. That's not the kingdom of God. For there's neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor free. We're all one in Jesus Christ. And we've got to be kingdom people. And we can't look at a situation and say, God, I know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. Stop judging today by what happened yesterday. Amen. Because the devil will use our past to paralyze our future. We are kingdom people. Amen. It doesn't matter what's going on in our world today. What does thus saith the Lord? And the Lord said, Peter, launch out. Didn't make sense. He had to forget his past experience and say, okay, nevertheless, here we go. But his empty nets represented a point of failure in Peter's life. And here's what I want you to know. That sometimes we're sitting there with empty nets and it's a point of failure. We, we've done our best and we, we come up empty. We've done what other people told us and we've come up empty. But our past failures can, in, in the kingdom of God, when you're submitted to him, are merely a prerequisite to God's victory for your life.
Now, let me, I'm tell you why. Because I tell people, you know, you don't minister out of your confidence. You don't minister out of your successes. Well, I've been successful. I, I have a lot of successes, you know, and let me tell you how successful I am. So you can be successful. And Lord, I think I'll start a seminar and I'll charge $19.95. I won't gouge people, just $19.95. And I'll show them how to be successful. And so I'm ministering out of my, we all like to be successful. Don't we like to tell people how successful we are? Look how successful I am. Oh, I'm so successful. Look at me. You know what that is? That's another form of idolatry. It's the worship of ourselves. But he said, I shall be lifted up. And we have to be careful about that. There's nothing wrong in having success. But I tell people, you don't minister. What I've learned over the years, this whole starting to feel like an old preacher, <laughs> but I've been around for a few years and I've made so many mistakes. But God has taught me how to minister and the ministry comes out of your wounds, not out of your successes. So the pastor, I failed, I messed up. I, you know what? You probably had to mess up as a prerequisite to what God's going to do in your life now. Now he's going to release something in your life because you thought you could do it on your own. You thought you knew how to fish. God says, now I'm going to teach you how to fish. I'm going to teach you what it is to follow me. And this is where Abraham was. Abraham and Sarah tried all that time to become pregnant. And, and uh, you know, it's a little sidebar, but Sarah was something else. You ever do a study of Sarah? She was something else. I mean, you know, it's, it's hilarious to me because Sarah puts the idea in Abraham's mind to go in and to sleep with her handmaiden, Hagar, and then things didn't work out right. You know the story, right? I don't have to go through the whole, all the details. And then she blames Abraham for her idea. Just like a woman. Just like a woman. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Just, but sometimes, it was her idea. And then she said, it's all your fault, Abraham. And then God comes and visits them and says, you're going to have a child. And she's 90 years old, about, almost 90 years old. She said, a year from now, she's going to be, you're going to have a child. And Sarah overhears the conversation between Abraham and God. Sarah laughs, and, Abraham, and God says to Abraham, why did your wife laugh? And then Abraham must have gone and said, Sarah, why did you laugh? And she says, I didn't laugh. I think this is some kind of woman, amen? This, and, and then God says, yes, you did laugh. And here she is in an argument with God, you know. It just blows my mind thinking, this Sarah was something else, man. She was, whoo. I like Sarah. She's a, she's a real person. We put these people on pedestals. They're just, they were just folks. But he believed God, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, the Bible says, believed God. Even though they tried year after year after year. Hey, you know, you get a little frustrated and, and a little bit discouraged when you get to be about 100 years old. <laughs> and God said, I'm going to give you a child. And you're going, okay, I'm 50, okay, 60, 70, 80, 90, uh, you know. And yet the Bible says this. Romans 4, verses 20 and 21 that Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and having and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. You see, Lord, I'm going to launch out. You want me to, you know, forget the past. Yeah, Lord, but we tried to have a child and tried to have a child and tried to have a child and nothing happened. See, Lord, forget the past. What did I say? What did my word say? And he trusted God and believed that he was able 
Not Abraham was able. His body was unable for a long time. Amen. And yet God made him able. Because God had promised, and God is not a man, that he should lie to you tonight. And he's given many of you promises here tonight. I know he's given you promises. And some promises you don't even understand. Lord, how are you going to do that? But he's not a man that he should lie to you. Hold on to God's promise. But you can't hold on to his promise unless you, 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 know, unless you let go of the past. But you see, in, in, in our minds, we can say, God, I can't see it. The, the past, my past denies it. The devil tells him your daddy was that way, your mama was that way, you're going to be that way. My past denies it, uh, you know, but Lord, you have spoken it, and therefore I will believe it, and I will launch out and trust you. Master, we've toiled all night. Lord, I've toiled all night. Lord, I've tried to get my life together, but nevertheless, I will believe your word. And at your word, he launched out. And this is where the past ends. And our future begins at that point when we launch out and we say, God, nevertheless, I'll forget the past experiences. I'll forget the past prejudices. I'll forget the past failures. And I'm going to hold fast to your word. And Paul said, forget those things that are behind. I press forward. I reach forward in my upward call in Christ Jesus. We've got to abandon the past if we're going to cast down our nets. Here's a couple of things by way of application I want to leave with you. I know I've got to let you go here in a moment. But number one, God always exceeds our expectations. God always exceeds our expectations. I remember being in Albuquerque and saying, God, you're feeling the call of God to be a senior pastor. I was on staff at a church and I was setting up. We used to have these afterglows and I would set up about 20 chairs, you know, or 50 chairs. And, and for people to come in and after, after service, just to spend time in the Lord's presence and pray and all. And I remember, oh, Lord, if you give me 20 people that I could teach the word to. Well, God has exceeded my expectations. He's a God that goes above and beyond, if you'll let him. And so here Peter was out there fishing. Peter was, he, he thought, we're going to catch some fish. But Peter found out that the Lord was going to make him a fisher of men. He just wanted a little fishing business. God says, no, no. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Don't limit God by safely hugging the shoreline of unbelief. But what if I make a mistake, Pastor? What if I try trust God again and failure happens again? You know what he told Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is perfected through weakness. Not through your wins. But even through your weaknesses, even through your failures, and his grace is sufficient for you too. Here's the other thing. The last thing is that we need to surrender by way of application. What do I do? I need to surrender. Because in verse 11 of Luke chapter 5, it says, so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now, that doesn't mean that you go in and quit your jobs tomorrow. You know, my pastor told me to forsake all, so I quit. You know, no, 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 I'm not saying that. But it means that I forsake everything that keeps me from fulfilling what God's called me to do. I lay aside every weight and the sins that does so easily ensnare me. I look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of my faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised its shame. Peter surrenders his all 
when his doubts were sort of intercepted by the immeasurable goodness of God, he said he forsook all. He said, God, you can do this a whole lot better than I can. He forsook all. And God is calling us to that place where we will forsake all as well. Forsake my reputation. Forsake my own little vision I may have. Say, God, I'm your servant. Whatever you want to do through my life. Here's the conclusion of the matter, if I can leave you with this thought, and that is that you no longer have to fear the deep, what God's calling you to. I know you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or later this year, but you don't have to fear the deep. Why? Because the Lord is already there. He goes before us and prepares a place for us. Philippians 4.13, you know this one. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Lord goes before us to strengthen us. And in his strength, we can do all things. What he's calling you to do is beyond you. If you can comprehend it and understand it and calculate it and put it in a book and sell it. Yeah, I'm not against writing books. I mean, I've, writing books is wonderful. I, I've written a, a book, you know, but I mean, that's, that's neither here nor there. But a lot of times, if you can comprehend things and understand it and figure it all out and all that, it's probably not God. It's when God calls you to something that is so far beyond you that you're going, there's just no way. That's probably God. Because you know when you get there, and, and I tell people, you know, it, we, we, God is blessed. We've got three services on Sunday where God's blessing the church and all this stuff. And I tell them, I said, you know, all you got to do to understand how powerful God is, is look at me. There's no way in the world that I could have ever done this. God puts us in situations so far beyond us. He has us launch out into things that are so far beyond us. Why does he do that? Well, because he wants the glory all for himself. So that when you get to where you're going, nobody will be able to receive the glory but God. Amen? Amen. To God be the glory. You no longer have to fear the deep. Listen, Paul said this. He said, nothing mattered to me. He was going to Jerusalem. And the Ephesian elders fell on his neck and said, oh, Paul, don't go. Hey, I've got a vision. When you go, Paul, you're going you're gonna to be bound. You're gonna be, he said, you know what? None of that mattered to me. Only thing matters to me is that I finished the race God has called me to run, and that with joy. And that with joy. Joy. The joy of obedience. It's not the joy of packed churches or the joy of popularity or the joy of million-dollar book deals or the joy of the, the best Christian worship CD. It's not the joy of that. It's the joy of obedience is what I want to finish with and what God calls us to finish with. He said, I want to finish my race with joy. And there's all kinds of things that will happen that will try to rob you of that joy. But you hold fast to that joy that God has called you to. And it's the joy of obedience. If you're here in obedience to God, have joy. Know that you're pleasing your father. Jesus said it is my meat, my joy, my food, my nourishment to do my father's will. That's the joy that Paul talked about. And so God's telling you to launch out. Trust him. He will not let you down. He will not put you to shame. Let down your nets. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for your truth. And, Father, for the fact that this lesson of faith, Lord, and letting down our nets, dear God, it's so far beyond us, but yet, Father, in obedience, 
this whole room was full of people who are here by obedience and saying, God, I want to obey you. I want to do what you want me to do. Even though, Lord, right now I don't understand it, I do know that this is where you want me for right now. Lord, help them to not recoil back in unbelief and doubt and fear. For a double-minded man cannot receive anything from you, but Lord, let us by faith say, yes, Lord. I know I've tried it before, but yes, Lord. I'll let the nets down. Yes, Lord, I'll be obedient. Yes, Lord, I'll believe your word. Yes, I'll trust you yet again. Bless each and every one tonight, Father. Thank you so much. For those who are here, bless them, Father. Grant them strength. Grant them the wisdom and the knowledge of Christ and the faith to let down their nets, to release their faith for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. I just believe that God would be honored tonight if we responded. I don't, I don't know where you are in your walk, but I have felt challenged in my spirit tonight. Lord, give me more faith. I tell you, you know, sometimes the, the battles just weigh you down. And uh, I doubt that I'm the only one like that here tonight. And I've asked Brother Al if he would pray a, a prayer over us tonight. And if you, if you would like to come and just kneel around the front here and say, Lord, I want to launch out. Give me more faith. We're going to ask our brother to pray to our Father in heaven tonight. And what I'd like for the rest of you to do is just to gather around and we're going to have a circle of prayer here. Maybe there's someone here you know that you've even been praying for and you'd lay a hand on them and pray for them. You know, we've heard the message of victory tonight. We heard it last night. And it's ministered to my soul. And I want Brother Al, if he would, to come and just pray a prayer over us tonight, would you? Yes, Jesus. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you, Father. And I thank you, dear God, for the response around this altar, dear God. And I pray, Father, right now, in the mighty name of Jesus. God, you would hear every prayer, Father, because you're a God of compassion and great love. The Bible says, Lord, that you capture every one of our tears in a bottle. You discern and read and decipher every tear that falls from our eyes. You know of the hurt and the pain. You know of our reluctance, Lord, to release our faith because we've been hurt. And some of those wounds have come from people even in the church. And some of our deepest wounds have been from other saints. And David said, oh, if I had the wings of a dove, I would fly away. For it was not my enemy that wounded me, that hurt me, but it was you, my friend. And so, so some of us need to let go and to release our faith, dear God, in that area of forgiveness, Lord. It's hard, Lord. But you told us in your word, Father, that it is impossible that offense will not come. Offense will come. Lord, let we release that offense in the name of Jesus. 
from the church, Lord, from other people, from our parents, from our past. God, so that we can receive freely, dear God, what you have for us. We willingly let down our nets of faith and say, Lord, here am I, send me. Use my life, purify me. Move through me in the mighty name of Jesus. Help me to dream again and to believe again that you're a God who rewards expectancy, who rewards faith. For you said we must believe that you are and that you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And so, Father, I pray your blessing on everyone around this altar. Lord, bless each and every one in the name of Jesus. You know their concerns, their cares. And Lord, I pray for a spirit of renewal, a spirit of revelation through the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus. I pray that you revive their visions. I pray that you give them a vision beyond themselves. I pray that you would embolden their faith in these last days for the sake of your kingdom to accomplish your purpose and your will. Lord, let us live by the good news and not the bad report. Oh, there's giants in the land, but we thank you. And Lord, you're greater than the giants. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. So, Father, grant us boldness to believe you, to trust you. The fruit is not close to the trunk of the tree, but is out on the end of the branches. Lord, help us to go out, to launch out, to trust you, to do a new thing. You said forget those things. You said the, the old things that you desire to do a new thing. Do a new thing in our hearts of renewal, of healing, of restoration, of vision, of faith, that your name may be glorified. In Jesus' holy name, amen, amen.